One of the lessons I've learned in martial arts is that standing still is asking to be hit. If you stand still in business, your competition is going to catch up. I start each morning practicing martial arts because it brings me balance and focus. And I want to know how others stay motivated as well. So join me for conversations on business, innovation, and entrepreneurship. I'm Dan Schulman. Welcome to Never Stand Still. On today's episode, I'm talking to Ross Baird, the president of Village Capital, a venture capital firm that uses its peer support network to connect high potential early stage entrepreneurs with the people, institutions, and capital they need to grow. We'll be talking about his leadership in addressing global issues through solutions that can affect real change. Ross, I'm so happy to have you here. Uh, we've got so much to talk about. We're good partners uh, together, and um, uh, this is going to be a great conversation. And I know people will learn so much from hearing uh, your words of wisdom, not to put any pressure on you. So um, PayPal and Village Capital have collaborated for a number of years uh, now. But for those of you who may not know you, may not know Village Capital, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you came to Village Capital, came up with this whole idea, and what the mission of Village Capital is? Yeah, sure. And Dan, it's great to be here. Thanks for oh, so your nice partnership and yeah. thanks for yeah. having me here. Um, you know, the very first collaboration we Village Capital did with PayPal was in a program in 2014 to support entrepreneurs that are building financial health for people in the U.S. And we've done a lot more since then, and we can, we can talk about that. But the mission is best exemplified in the story of one of those entrepreneurs that came yep. through this program. Um, the entrepreneur's name is Jerry Namoran. He was a Haitian immigrant that moved to the U.S. when he was 11. Um, and he saw his mom, who they were refugees, they were political refugees, and he saw his mom get ripped off by payday lenders and ca check cashers. Yep. And he figured out, he goes, I want to go, I want to learn the financial services system, and I want to make it work better for people like my mom. So he went to, first his family go to college, goes to Wall Street, goes uh, to UVA Business School and comes up with an idea for a company called Lend Street that helps poor people refinance their debts. And it, he knew, he had the experience, he knew it. And he went out and he tried to raise money for two years, and he completely struck out, talked to hundreds of firms, and no one went for it. And I said, Jerry, this is in our program, I said, Jerry, yeah. you've been at it for a while, What's going on? He goes, you know, the, the business world is all about pattern recognition. People tend to invest in and support the ideas they know and understand. Absolutely. Yeah. I am a black guy. Yeah. I live in central Virginia, and I'm solving poor people's problems. In the business world, I'm 0 for 3. Yeah. And whether we see lots of great entrepreneurs because of who they are or where they live or the kind of problems they're trying to solve, they don't really have a place in the business world. And what we try and do is find those entrepreneurs, back them, connect them with firms like PayPal who can help them grow and scale. Now, So now, three years later, Jerry's now raised $100 million to help refinance the debts oh, of poor so people great. across the country. And we've worked with thousands of entrepreneurs like Jerry. Yeah. Well, I think um, there is a huge problem uh, in our country uh, where uh, women entrepreneurs, underrepresented minorities, have such a difficult time uh, raising capital mm -hmm. uh, for their uh, their companies, for the value propositions that uh, they're espousing. 
Can you talk a little bit about how uh, Village Capital tries to, um, it can never eradicate that, that funding gap because yeah. it's so gigantic right now and people are reading more and more about it, but it's been around for a long time. How your philosophy and, mm -hmm. uh, and your mission helps uh, with that. Maybe a little bit about who you do fund. Sure. So I've, I've always been an entrepreneur and I came to found Village Capital not from a finance background, but from an on the, on the ground background trying to build businesses in difficult places. And so I was in India and I worked for a microfinance bank for a couple of years. And yeah. microfinance is, is a revolution that now has led to access to capital $30 billion a year for very poor people in rural parts of the world. And the way that the microfinance industry was able to go all across the world was they had an idea that entrepreneurs, people closest to the problem are actually best placed to decide who should get capital. So they came up with, I, I saw this innovation called the Village Bank, where instead of a loan officer making decisions, yes, no, yes, no, yeah. the women in a village decide for the bank who gets the capital and you know who's solving the right problem and who's good. And, and um, you know, Jerry is 0 for 3. The stats are women raised 2% of startup financing yeah. last year. People yep. of color raised 1%. Um, yep. People closest to many of the problems we experience don't have access to capital. So Village Capital, the idea came, I said, what if you took this village bank concept of entrepreneurs making investment decisions, combined it with the venture capital industry, village bank plus venture capital equals village capital. So with partners like PayPal, we recruit entrepreneurs and we actually let the entrepreneurs decide who gets investment. It sounds kind of weird, but the results are very different. So 43% of, we've done probably close to 100 investments, 43% are women compared to 2%. 34% are people of color compared to 1%. Wow. We find when you wow. change who has the power to direct resources, you get much more inclusive results. So what would be the one big lesson that you think that you've learned that others might be able to uh, learn from as well? Because those results are so different um, than what you see in typical um, uh, capital venture uh, companies. Mm -hmm. I, I'd love, I'd love for people listening and, and watching uh, to understand maybe what that one big lesson you've learned and how they might think about it and apply it in their uh, investment practices. Yeah, I mean the big lesson is actually. Um really focusing on the small. The sm it's small improvements and small innovations that can matter in many ways, much more important than big ones. Village Capital, we do a lot of things like many other investment firms. The only thing we changed was who makes the final decision, who gets money. And making that small change led to dramatically different results. I think people get so obsessed with scale and bigger is better and let's take yeah. this thing and scale it 100x. But you know, most people, have a, most people have a lot of control or a lot of authority over a very small thing. And actually focusing on small innovations that might have big differences is, is, is the biggest thing I've learned. What, we, what we've done is, is, is you know, we tried to get one very small thing right and different, and, it, and it's made all the difference. Yeah. You've um, just published a book. This is The uh, Innovation uh, Blind Spot. Um, and what are some of the... Um, messages that you've put out through that book that would be helpful for people to, to understand if you had to give the, uh, the summary of that? 
Well, Dan, you're in the book, um, and I appreciate I, I, I appreciate um, the generosity you had telling your story. Um, I would say that innovation isn't something that happens in a slide deck or a conference room or an offsite or a strategy session. Innovation is something, and you said this, innovation is something that only comes when you feel and directly experience problems yep. with your heart. So you, you know, it is radical for you to talk about PayPal's mission being financial health. Most companies yep. put the business in one camp and the, you know, the do-good or corporate social responsibility in the other camp, and you don't see a differentiation. Nope. I, in the book, I talk about um, when I started Village Capital, I pitched 1,000 people for funding, and 970 said no, uh, yeah. and 30 said yes, and you get there. And But one guy said... So interesting. One guy way. said, you know, young man, uh, this is an interesting idea. You're trying to build these businesses that have a mission, but I got two pockets. With one pocket, I make as much money as I can, and when I'm doing well, I give the rest away. And I really don't understand what pocket to put you in. And I said... Respectfully, I see it a bit differently. I think yeah. I think everything we do integrates into you know our mission, our values, our business, our career. It's all it's all one conversation. And um, he ended up not funding me out of either pocket. He didn't get it. But I think more and more people, particularly in my generation, you know, it's it's a requirement to blend yeah. the two pockets into one. So I think having direct experience with the problem you're trying to solve and viewing the problem not through a charity lens or a business lens, but Putting everything in, in one pocket is 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 a lot of what the book is about. Yeah. Uh, well, I couldn't agree more with you. I, I don't think that the idea of um, having great shareholder value and having an inspiring mission in a company that uh, whose purpose is to make some difference in the world. And as you mentioned, like for us, it's democratizing financial services, driving financial health understanding that segment of the population by experiencing it firsthand, not just intellectualizing it, but actually experiencing it firsthand. I think that actually gives you a competitive advantage uh, in the market and that you can do both things simultaneously. And in fact, if you don't have that mission and that vision and those values that come along with that, you can't recruit the very best mm -hmm. and brightest uh, to your company because brands have to stand for more than making money. They have to have a purpose. They have to have an inspiring mission. Um, and so, um, and I think that businesses have this moral obligation mm -hmm. to be a force for good in some way. Uh, again, you can't solve all the problems of the world, but you can focus in and, and make a difference in the way that you can. And so, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more uh, on that. And I think as I look out in the world, as I talk to different CEOs, um, I'm seeing more and more what I would call, like people call them activist CEOs. I just call them responsible yeah. uh, leaders yeah. and citizens uh, in, their, uh, in their respective fields. Um, you know, I, I um, every morning I, I work out, I spar, I do some form of martial arts. Um, and one of the lessons I've learned the hard way um, is if you stand still in the middle of sparring, it's basically asking to be hit. In fact, you're always hit when you stand still. Um, and it's one of these lessons that's taken me a while to, uh, uh, to internalize. Can you give maybe an example in your own life where 
maybe you stood still a little bit longer than you should have because I apply this all to business yeah, yeah, yeah. as well and got hit and what that was and how you got back up uh, from that. Yeah, you know, we started with this vision of, of one pocket. You know, we believe exactly what you said, better businesses that have missions beyond just making money are going to outperform, they're going to have better people, yeah. et cetera. Um, I still think most of the world is a two-pocket world. And as we grew and started to get some traction, we started to play a little more in the big leagues. And people, I think, started to discount us and said, you have a social mission, therefore you can't be very good at business. And I think we got really defensive. And I think we maybe maybe didn't put our mission at the forefront of what we talked about. I mean, we, of course, believed it, but we we were working on a couple of very big deals that would have taken us to the next level. And we were, we were like, look, we're just as good as real business people, we promise. And we kind of put the impact of the mission on the back burner because like, yeah. we really want you to take us seriously. And then, you know, the deals ended up not working out. And I think the reason why they didn't work out was we really weren't mission aligned. And I think in the end, um, Interesting. it was, it um, was, a, it was, it, it really hurt to put a lot of time and energy into something and have it not work out. But in the end, it realized it didn't work out because we were almost apologizing for our mission and impact and saying, we're just as good as you, bottom line, hardcore financial people, we promise. When it, what we really believed was we're better because of our mission. We're better because yeah. of our values and we weren't being true to ourselves. So, you know, the world is pushing you to be just like everybody else. And we kind of, when we did that, we weren't successful. And, um, but it was a reminder that the more true we are to our values, the more, more likely we are to be be successful. So interesting. As you um, look out, maybe three years, five years, maybe even 10 or 15 years, um, how do you envision moving forward? Like like making sure you take that concept, like you just said, of not standing still, but just moving forward. Like, how do you see that unfolding? I think it's a radical not even a shift. It's a, it's a, um, let, let's just take financial services, for yeah. example. It's, it's, it's almost a grounding in what a company does. So, you know, the first consumer banks were largely started by Quakers, by religious people, because they thought that money lenders like think Ebenezer Scrooge ripped yeah. people off. And they yeah. started formal banks to be fair and democratic and open. And I think many financial services firms have kind of gotten away from that. And now most whether it's venture capitalists or banks are kind of gatekeepers. You know, we have the money, like, if you are good enough, you will get access. And one of the things we've tried to do and things you've tried to do at, at PayPal is be much more of a bridge builder than a gatekeeper saying, yeah. we don't care who you are. We don't care where you live. Um, if you've got a great product, we'd love to help you with e-commerce. Or if you're Jerry and you've got a great idea, even if you're 0 for 3, here's a place where you're welcome and where you can grow. And so I think that um, things like PayPal working capital, where you guys – don't, you know, there's huge history of bias and discrimination in consumer lending. But you guys don't look at names or resumes or locations. You no. just look at the underlying fundamentals of the business. And you've lent billions of dollars to people who can't get a bank loan just using yeah. data. Um, you guys are, and we try to do the same thing, the, the firms in financial services that are the most inspiring and I think will succeed are the ones who are building bridges between people who are not in the system to the to inside the system and it's whether it's innovations like who selects who gets investments or using data to make lending decisions there are 10,000 other ideas that 
that is where I see things going, which is almost going back to the roots of why financial services institutions were started to begin with. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Maybe a last question for you. If you had to give some uh, advice and counsel to those entrepreneurs that were coming in to see you mm -hmm. um, and uh, to pitch their idea, like what, what should they be thinking about as they come, come into you? How, how would they structure their pitch to you to maximize their chances of success? You know, that's a great question. And I talked a little bit about this before, but I think in the, particularly in the startup world, you're incentivized to think bigger is better. You know, yeah. we're going to pretend that we have a billion dollar market even, and, and there's, um, and there's a real risk to pretending that things are there when they're not there. And yeah. I would say the most successful entrepreneurs embrace the flip side and say, small is beautiful. You know, here's a very specific problem. And I know this problem personally because I lived it. You know, Jerry, my mom was ripped off by money lenders and I know how to fix the problem. And I am solving this problem for a very specific type of people. But by the way, 50% of Americans cannot access $500 in emergencies. So my market is 50% of this country. You know, starting small and yep. understanding the problem better than anyone in the world um, and building on that is a much better path to success than bigger is better, I think. Yeah, no, I love that philosophy. Ross, thank you so much for one, being a partner uh, with PayPal. We greatly enjoy our partnership uh, and two, uh, for being here uh, with all of us uh, today. Your wisdom, your experience uh, is something that uh, we can all learn from it and, uh, and I do constantly. So thank you very much. Thanks, Dan. It's terrific. Yeah, thank Thanks you. for your leadership. Yeah, You're inspiring. Thank you. Thank you.